You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Drive Time Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 14th of September. 2022 with your usual Wednesday afternoon drive time show presenters myself Shajid Ahmed and also Dr. Tariq Bajasab here as well with us uh, we have also uh, an additional presenter with us Aniko Rahman Sahib who is another missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community Assalamu alaikum gentlemen how, how are you guys doing this afternoon Walaikum assalam peace be on you thank you very much and uh, peace be on all our listeners as well and uh, I hope uh, that we have, uh, you know, two, three presenters. So if you have any questions, you can come along and ask us. Uh, we got a number. Uh, Shujil Sab, can you give the number? Yes, so the, the number, the lines are open. If you want to, you know, voice your opinion or call us um, uh, or, you, you know, even ask any questions, the number to call in, as always, is 020-8687-7878. You can also tweet to us at Voice of Islam UK or leave us or, uh, any uh, com- comments on our Instagram page, which is also Voice of Islam UK as well. Um, something which is uh, something which is needed, something which is quite interesting as well, is that the the Ahmadiyya Muslim community uh, is actually holding a remembrance program for for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, and this is an invitation for you know for for all of our neighbours, for anyone who wants to come and join in. Uh, the event will actually take place today here at the Battle Fatou Mosque which is actually the largest mosque in uh, in Western Europe. Uh, you can actually come here. And uh, as I mentioned, it's, uh, it's an invitation, an open invitation to anyone who wants to join us as well. As I mentioned, it is it will happen. To, uh, I mean, the, the remembrance program will happen today uh, at uh, 5.15. So that's quarter past five. And it will go until uh, about seven o'clock or so as well. Some light refreshments will also be served uh, as well. So if you w- do want to come, and uh, sort of take part uh, you can you're you're you know more than more than happy uh, we're more than happy to open our doors uh, to uh, to anyone who wants to come as well and remember her majesty the queen's um, services towards the not just the country but of course the the commonwealth as well uh, as you know as as the whole world at large as well because you know we can understand that world leaders have uh, have a big influence on uh, on you know majority of the of the world, I won't go too much into into the politics of it, but uh, that's something that we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, a little bit later on as well. Two main uh, topics that we're going to be speaking about today. In the first part of the show, we're going to be speaking about weight shaming, um, how you know weight or fat shaming. I mean, the sort of uh, two two faces of the same of the same coin. Uh, something more uh, about this and in the second part of the show we're going to be speaking about Islam and Europe how how Islam or the traditions of Islam the teachings of Islam are, are applicable 
or can be applied to 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 Western countries, to Eastern countries, to as well as Eastern countries, as well as Western countries as well, as particularly in Europe. So something more than how can we, how do we perceive perceive Islam, um, Islam and the Enlightenment, and uh, you know various different things about the teachings that might uh, that might seem as if uh, they're quite strict, but actually they are there to to protect all of us. Uh, as well, and how Islam, uh, you know, proclaims justice and gives justice, uh, gives us the teachings of justice as well. Uh, that's something that we're going to be speaking about a little bit later on as well. As I mentioned, you can also contact us via vo- uh, on our Instagram, which is Voice of Islam UK. We're actually asking a question today on our Instagram poll: Have you ever been weight shamed? I mean, it's. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, you don't have to give us the reason why. But uh, if you tell us, you know, if you if you give us uh, you know, an answer, yes or no, that will give us a better understanding how much serious this actually is. So give us your responses over there uh, as well. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. As I mentioned, is the number for uh, for you to to call. So weight or fat shaming. Um, basically, it's it's the act of criticizing or mocking an individual for being overweight and making someone feel embarrassed. Uh, I think it can be either way. It can be if somebody is very skinny mm. and you are mocking at because of weight or because of the body shape, size, <laughs> um, that would be, uh, that would fall into the definition of weight shaming. And um, obviously, uh, obesity is current. Currently, obesity is one of the major problems of the world. and. That is where, I mean, this this topic has been brought in because what is happening is that people have become conscious of the weight. And uh, over the last few years, uh, as people have become uh, more uh, aware of this problem, um, there has been a tendency that people, uh, you know, people have been bullied, people have been... And and it's not only to the general public. It is, uh, it has been found, and an article has been published uh, last month focused on obese patients being weight shamed hmm. by doctors and nurses in UK and around the world. <coughs> now, I, I belong to that category, yeah. and uh, and I am I'm aware that uh, you know this is uh, um, true to some extent that uh, when whenever you know something comes in in any field basically, but in in medicine I have noted with my experience that. Uh, when something new comes up, hmm. all the stress is given on to that one. Like at one time there was like everybody should be on aspirin. That's hmm. a magic drug that is going to resolve all your issues. Hmm. The heart prevent heart attacks, prevent this and that. And later on, gradually they found, no, it has limitations. You can't use it because it has got side effects. So this is this is a tendency that th- there is no balance kept. So they go on to one side and then they uh, they put a pressure on the same thing. So when uh, obesity was found to be related to certain illnesses and diseases, um, obviously the stress was that everybody should be made aware of, uh, everybody should be made uh, weight conscious Mm. so that they can look after Mm. uh, their weight and uh, and not, you know, uh, not go... Um, unaware hmm. that uh, you know they keep on eating or they don't uh, do exercise, so everybody was stressing upon them. So, uh, but that has also been noted that the behavior of people 
and even particularly those uh, uh, who were to deal with the issue, the people uh, who were doctors and nurses and mm. all the associated the clinics and everything, yeah, clinic uh, clinicians. Um, whenever they they visited and they saw somebody who is uh, who is overweight, who is obese, mm. obviously th their intention was not bad. The intention was that you know if you tell them that you know this is not good for you, uh, and um, but there is a there is a line if you if you cross that, mm. then then people it's a people topic. feel to the extent mm. that. Uh, the pe people have stopped attending their appointments just because when they will go, they will feel very embarrassed, embarrassed and the doctor yeah. is going to tell them off um, that uh, it's just about about weight, and and that is why that 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 has been an issue that people have, and when they don't attend, when they don't go go to the doctors, then they the are going to suffer more. Problem more increases problems. as well. The thing is, is that sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you would see that uh, this happens in particular cultures, uh, in particular cultures as well. Um, they, you know, in, I mean, I know for, you know, in our culture, in the Pakistani Indian culture, if somebody is a little bit too fat, especially girls, then, you know, the, the mothers, the fathers, especially the, the women in the family, sometimes they say that, oh, you're getting fat, you know, it's going to be difficult for you to, you know, get married or so, these sort of things. So these things should be taken into account as well. Um, but also, you know, as, as we always talk about, awareness is, is key. Education is key. And uh, the more awareness that we raise, the more people will actually know about this as well. Um, we were fortunate enough to interview uh, Christy Holland, who is a practicing doctor at the Holland Clinic in Melbourne. Um, let's Kirsty. listen. Kirsty, if you might mind it. So Kirsty, yes, it absolutely, absolutely. Kirsty. Apologies for that one. Kirsty Holland, who's from uh, who's from Mel uh, from Melbourne, a practicing doctor at the at the Holland Clinic. So let's listen to 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 what she had to say. So um, could you start by telling us a little about yourself and the Holland Clinic? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm Dr. Kirsty Holland and um, I've been in clinical practice since about 2000, primarily focusing on women's health across the full life spectrum from really menstruation to menopause. I've worked with um, lots of the best practitioners all around the world and have extensive experience um, uh, in various research and well-known product development departments. Um, and um, I often work with women who've spent years struggling with long, long-standing health challenges. I'm quite often the um, the end of the line practitioner. Um, many patients have told me that unfortunately conventional treatment hasn't necessarily helped them, and they do come in saying that they have tried everything. Often women can feel quite unheard and unseen in this space. Um, and often they're told by their primary conventional healthcare practitioners that there doesn't seem to be any evidence for the symptoms that they're experiencing and that there doesn't necessarily seem to be anything wrong with them, although these women are still left feeling like something's not quite right. Um, they finally get to our clinic and they realise that there are so many um, functional testing options, for example, and Lots of the time when women have said that they've pretty much done everything, um, they've done everything that they know of or that conventional medicine has taught them about, but they haven't really um, done anything like comprehensive microbiome testing or gut testing or done something as comprehensive as the Dutch test, which is just a phenomenal comprehensive, basically 19 pages of technical data all about your female hormonal plethora. <laughs> 
um, they begin to understand the benefit of a holistic approach after they start to um, have a bit of an understanding and a relationship with us. And um, I myself have had gut issues in the past and have experienced lots of my own health concerns. So I'm really an avatar for the clinic um, because I too am sort of a living, breathing example of how this holistic functional medical approach really can work. Um, I'm very practical. I'm a busy um, single mum and, um, yeah, life is busy and we need, we need health solutions that are sustainable and easy to implement. And thousands of women in our clinic um, have done this and um, I really want women to feel comfortable in their own skin, you know, with balanced hormones and, you know, weight, for example, and mood. And it's really nice when you trust your own body again. A lot of the time women have, have sort of lost their trust um, in themselves and in their bodies. And I really want my patients to experience compelling health, health outcomes. And our focus is, is really on vitality um, rather than pathology. You know, my question is always, how can I get you as vital as you possibly can be? And how can I get you from where you are now to a very different place? That's really where I begin. Thank you. Um, with your extensive experience in weight loss, anxiety and depression, do you think weight shaming can be used as an effective tool to reduce obesity? Oh, I just have full body goosebumps when you say that and absolutely not. <laughs> I have never, ever, ever had a woman come into my clinic talking about the fact that her having been shamed for the way she looks or feels and really, you know, she, she, she knows how she feels. She knows how bad she feels. She doesn't need any more shame. Believe me, the self-blame shame game is big enough. I think we need kindness and I think we really need to look at if we're using medicine as food and the outcome is something like obesity, then really the obesity isn't the obesity does become its own problem um however it's not where we start we start with kindness and we have to look at all the things we have to look at absolutely everything that could have got somebody to that point in time and really we need to start with kindness and we need to start with self forgiveness and we also need to ask the question you know if we are using our food as medicine We need to look at that and then we need to start to unpack the why because you can't say goodbye to something that you actually haven't said hello to first. But shaming, never. Right. And why is that many patients feel embarrassed to discuss weight-related issues with their doctors or nurses? Oh, this is a big one. and. I've, you know, I've had this conversation with so many women time and time again, and it is such a shame. It is a real shame that women don't feel like they can speak to their doctors or their nurses about this issue because there seems to be this preconceived idea or this um, judgment that is already in place. You know, oh, I must be, I must be lazy and I, I'm, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's your fault for getting yourself into this position in the first place. All you need to do is lose weight. I've had so many women coming to my clinic going, I was told that I needed to lose weight <laughs> and then sent home, 
with no other instructions and no other help and no other support. And they basically just leave feeling judged and not helped in any way. And I, I think that that's why I think judgment is the biggest thing. And again, you know, how is judging someone, shaming somebody, helping somebody? I honestly just don't feel that those practitioners have potentially had a big enough toolbox to encompass the magnitude of what could potentially be behind this. And it is a complex space. It's a very complex space. And finally, in your opinion, what methods work for reducing obesity? Well, firstly, like I said, we have to have an awareness. We really need to start to bring an awareness to the fact that we could potentially be using our food as medicine and trying to, for example, in my case, um, I had a, experienced an awful um, family dynamic breakdown. My parents had an awful divorce and they sent me away to boarding school. And the only connection that I had to my home was this tuck locker. So no matter what was in that tuck locker or this little food locker where you had a key and you were able to go and open it and see what your parents had sent you, I mean, even if they'd sent me an entire bag of apples or an entire bag or box of raisin bran, a breakfast cereal, I would literally take that food, go up to my bedroom, sit cross-legged on my bed and eat in a repetitive kind of soothing notion, no matter what it was, until it was finished, you know, really basically just to numb, just to numb that sensation, to numb that pain. So we first have to get to the root cause of the matter. Why could we potentially be using food as medicine? And then, like I said, it is so complicated. There is, you cannot separate the psyche from the soma. So you can never separate the brain and your trauma and your story um, from what's actually going on in your physical body. And um, I think we really need to look at those root causes. And then, of course, we have tools and tips and tricks as to how to rebalance the biochemistry so, of course, we need to look at the, the hormonal plethora because obesity or excess weight is, is not a calories in, calories out issue. Really, if you're having, if you're having conversations about calories in, calories out, you're stuck in the research of the 1980s. It's a hormonal issue. We need to look at insulin. We need to look at why you're storing fat as opposed to why you're not burning your fat. We need to look at the microbiome. We need to look at how the microbiome interacts with the brain. There's a blood brain barrier. And if there's this inflammation in the brain, you know, due to this depression or this pain or this anxiety, there's quite often an inflammation in the gut. So an inflammation in the gut and inflammation in the brain. And um, we can certainly focus on food protocols and we can focus on um, intermittent fasting and we can focus on um, things like ketogenic beverages in the morning and getting women into this fat burn as opposed to fat store state. But it, it, you know, really the best diet is the one that you don't know you're on. You really need to change those lifestyle patterns sustainably and for good. However, you cannot ignore the story or the reasons why you could potentially be using your food as medicine, resulting in feeling like you're uncomfortable in your own skin and potentially carrying a little more weight that you really than you'd really like to be doing. That was Dr. Kirsty Holland from uh, from Melbourne, who's a practicing doctor at the Holland Clinic. Thank you so much uh, for taking time out and speaking to us uh, then. Um, we have our next guest who is on the line with us uh, as well, Colette Mullings, who's a spokesperson for Beat Eating Disorders Charity. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show, Colette. 
Thank you very much and welcome and thank you for having me. Thank you so much for, for being with us uh, as well. Um, to begin with, could you please uh, start by telling uh, so, some more information to our listeners about what B actually is, its mission, its purpose, its aims and objectives? Of course. Um, so BEAT is the UK's eating disorder charity and our mission and our goal is we exist to end the pain and suffering caused uh, by eating disorders. Uh, we provide information and support 365 days a year through our helplines, which people can call, text, email or DM through our socials. And we also provide support via our uh, information on our website. You can access message boards and we also provide online support programs too. Mm-hmm. And finally, we campaign for changes to policy and practice on eating disorders and expert training for healthcare, social care and education professionals on eating disorders as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Um, just to get into uh, some some details now, is there any correlation between weight shaming and the and the onset of uh, of eating disorders? Well, we know from the people that we support that um, weight shaming exists um, within the world of eating disorders, and that it can have a negative impact. So, whilst weight shaming is unlikely to be the sole reason for an eating disorder developing it can contribute to an eating disorder developing for someone who is already vulnerable or worsen eating disorder thoughts and behaviours for someone who is already unwell. So if we discuss this topic further, what do you think are eating disorders as physically dangerous as illnesses such as obesity? Um, Well, eating disorders are very misunderstood. Uh, They are complex mental illnesses which impact about, we believe, 1.25 million people in the UK. Mm -hmm. And that is people of all ages, weights, sizes, religious backgrounds, racial backgrounds, etc. And we also know that the sooner somebody accesses quality treatment, the better their chances are of making a full recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, a common misconception of eating disorders is that they only affect people who are underweight, um, but you can never tell if somebody has an eating disorder just by looking at them. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of the misunderstanding of eating disorders lies. Um, Eating disorders can have a negative health impact on people of any size or weight. So, for example, difficulty concentrating, heightened anxiety, stomach and dietary um, problems, difficulties in sleeping, and an Mm -hmm. absolute fixation on food. These these are just some of the common um, symptoms that people may experience when they have an eating disorder. Okay. So, in your opinion, does the current health system approach eating or weight-related disorders effectively? Well, it's interesting because despite uh, NICE guidelines advising healthcare professionals not to rely solely on BMI or weight when it comes to making eating disorder referrals, we know from the people that we speak to and the referrals that we get as support for our support programs mm-hmm. is that it's very much still a barrier to accessing um, proper uh, quality eating disorder treatment. So, for instance, somebody with an anorexia, um, BMI has historically been used to turn people away from treatment, mm-hmm. which if you have anorexia, that actually can um, trigger even more enhanced behaviours and somebody could actually use that to become very, very dangerously ill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, one, one of the things that we, that we want to do, and you guys are doing as well, 
and your charity is raising awareness, making sure that the you know when people need someone to talk to, there that there is a helpline. And you you said you did have a helpline as a as well. How can individuals? How can the public? How can how can we make a difference? And if someone wants to get in touch with your charity, um, can you give us any any hot hotline or any website that they can visit? Absolutely. So. Um yeah, weight shaming is unacceptable uh, and can have a significant impact. So if somebody close to you um, is struggling with disordered eating, which is some of the first signs of developing into something more um, diagnosed as an eating disorder, we encourage you to keep the conversation away from appearance and weight as much as possible. Um, it can also be useful to um, be have more of a balanced relationship with food and exercise and not always see the two as a reason to lose weight, for example, the mental health benefits of being active uh, as an alternative um, could be could be used. And if you're worried about yourself or somebody that you know, um, please, we urge you to make a GP appointment. And if uh, you visit our website, which is beateatingdisorders.org.uk, there's lots of information about the different types of eating disorders, access to our helplines and all the different options available. And also, if you are going to a GP and you're feeling a bit concerned about that, we have a downloadable resource called a GP leaflet hmm. in our resources section that you can download and take with you to that appointment if you're unsure or feel that you're unqualified to have that conversation. It has all of the information in that leaflet that you can take with you to that appointment. Wonderful, wonderful. Colette, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you so much. Have a, have a lovely day. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, so that was uh, Colin Mullings, who's a spokesperson for Beat Eating Disorders Charity. And it's good that they they open uh, every day, uh, you know, 365 days uh, a year, helping, you know, those people who, who are in need as well. Because eating disorders have, you know, as mentioned, as, as she mentioned, has a huge link between, you know, between weight shaming as well. Eating disorders are a very big thing. And it's, you know, quite right what you said in the beginning as well. It's not just those people who are maybe overweight or obese, you know, going towards that side. But it's the other side as well, you know, people who are going, uh, you know, getting a bit anorexic as well. See, according to the statistics, two-thirds of adults are either overweight or obese in the UK. Mm. And uh, it is an epidemic. And it's not only um, here in UK, it's global um, epidemic, particularly mm. the United States. Uh, if you look at the statistics, most of the people are suffering a lot. But the problem uh, we do have is that there is a, um, you know, another side that there is a body positivity. Um, there is a, a campaign uh, which is called a body body positivity, and they are mm. they are on only making it worse. The reason is that, of course, they are giving you confidence that you know whatever your body is, you should be confident about it you yeah. should be proud of it you yeah. should be you know whatever you are uh, and and that takes away the awareness that yes it can be associated with with disease with illnesses uh, you can say that obesity does not cause illness but definitely it is associated with illnesses mm. Mm. and your uh, chances of getting an illness because you uh, you are overweight is is definitely particularly some some of the illnesses for example diabetes is directly related to your your weight your um it is also related to 
heart disease, mm. Heart, mm. Your, because uh, obviously it's, uh, your cholesterol levels. So some of some of the illnesses definitely they are directly related to to the obesity, but not necessarily that uh, you know. So so you don't want yes, you should be confident because the thing is that some of you have spoken to the um, eating disorders charity um, uh, and and they uh, you see the eating disorders is not only a physical disorder uh, it can be associated with a lot of uh, psychological mm, so, yeah I was just about uh, to say that problems yeah. because um, what happens is that it is your peer pressure it is uh, people associated with you it is the family way pressure as well yeah, could be. yeah family pressure peer pressure and and then the way you you look at but nobody mm. obviously nobody wants to be looked at as if he is uh, you know everybody tries to be to to look as as best as, as he can as appealing as possible yeah. as appealing yeah, yeah. as possible yeah, so nobody but what happens is that because you become disappointed at one stage that you can't do anything about it mm. so when this happens then because they they start taking the extreme measures for yeah. example they would s- stop eating or start binge eating that yeah. they eat a lot of food and then they, they vomit vomit yeah uh, yeah, yeah. A- and that that leads to further medical problems because you know if you are throwing up and then you a lot of your body essential electrolytes you lose mm. your potassium is low and your sodium is low you and and that leads to f- serious um, sometimes even fatal well. yeah. uh, incidences happening because of that. They go to the, that extreme. So that is where you not only need to treat the person physically, but also psychologically. psychologically they need a psychological support. As, absolutely. Uh, we're going to be speaking to uh, Elizabeth Scott, who is on the line with us, who is our next guest, who is a co-founder of the Body Positive and Director of Training, as well as an educator and uh, psychotherapist as well. Peace be upon you, good afternoon, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Elizabeth, what, what, is the, what is the Body Positive movement uh, all about? Tell us a little bit more. The Body Positive is about an individual's uh, relationship to their body and our belief that people deserve to have a peaceful and healthy relationship to their body whether or not their body complies with the social ideals of beauty, often these ideals are, um, they have quite racist origins, and it's valuable to look more deeply at the kinds of messages that we get and how that affects our relationship to our body and thus our self-care. Mm-hmm. Now, is there, is there a link, is there a correlation between weight shaming and uh, eating disorders? Of course. Hmm. There's a correlation between weight shaming and body hatred and having an aversion to our bodies and feeling that we can never comply to the standards of beauty that are so unattainable in our society. Hmm. It leads to extreme measures like you just mentioned, that if starving doesn't work, then maybe adding purging or compulsive exercise. And all of these behaviors tend to lead towards overeating and binging and eating out of a desperate feeling from starvation and so you can see there's a link between starving and then getting very dysregulated in how we eat and how we take care of our bodies so there there's a link and of course shame you know being 
receiving messages that are critical and judgmental leads to anxiety about food and anxiety about eating. And then once you start the behaviors, they tend to snowball themselves to worsen over time. So if we see there are people who think that, uh, you know, the positivity, uh, you know, body positivity encourages poor health and obesity, what do you think, what do you respond to those individuals who say these things? There's really no data on that, I think. We have plenty of data showing mm-hmm. a link between body hatred and crummy self-care. If you hate your body, you don't tend to take care of it. You might actually want to punish it, right? So we've, we have a lot of data with the body positive showing that when people embrace their body or even just move towards neutrality, away from aversion, but towards towards self-love, towards accepting the body, that our, our self-care improves our ability to listen and respond to our body's needs improves and so people do tend to eat better and exercise better over time but of course some people have had so many critical and judgmental messages at their bodies particularly mm-hmm. people who are fat that they they may reject all messages even the healthy ones mm-hmm. in an effort to you know, save their souls in an effort to preserve their dignity. And I think maybe that's just a phase, and over time they'll stop resisting all of the hatred with that reactivity, but eventually move towards self-care and autonomy and freedom. And we did a big study at uh, the University of Qatar with a group of students there who were graduate students in medical and nutrition programs. And those who participated in the body positive where they're learning to love and accept their bodies and listen to their bodies, their body image improved, their relationship to their body and self-care improved, and their self-compassion improved. So the data actually shows that people's care of themselves goes up, not down. But maybe there are some people who are just reactive and they're just like, no, Mm -hmm. I don't want to I don't want to deal with all those rules that have been making me suffer since I was eight years old, put on my first diet. And and they look pretty reactive. And mm-hmm. they have a right to save their save their soul before they care about their health, in my opinion. Yeah, that's right. So, of course, the soul and the health is interlinked with each other. And you have to take care of both of them, right. isn't it? So if, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes at first you, you go with, just I, I'm going to live my life and not be crushed down by these messages, but then eventually get to let's go to the farmer's market and find something bright and beautiful mm-hmm. to eat. Yeah, true. So in your opinion, how can we effectively tackle both obesity and the onset of eating disorders then? So this is what I've spent the last 25 years of my life answering that question. And at The Body Positive, my partner, Connie Subcheck and I, we went to middle school and high school and college students, and we asked, what are the messages you get about your food and your body, and how do they make you feel, and what are you going to do about it? And we started hearing from them of the, the crushing messages that lead to these extreme eating disorders and and and, and then the, the fat phobia and the messages about weight and all the confusing messages and what they needed in order to resist these um, this really disrupted relationship to the body. And out of their responses over many years, we created our model. And we discovered there are five competencies that really make a difference in terms of 
being able to accept and inhabit our bodies with peace. And that's what the body positive model is. That's what we teach young people to teach their peers. Absolutely, absolutely. Elizabeth Scott, thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. It's been it's been a, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much once again, and uh, have a lovely day. Thank you. Bye now. Bye bye. Yeah, I think the you know if you look at the the teachings from the Holy Quran, yes. Uh, it tells us, and it's, it's amazing that obviously it's a, it's a religious book. It tells us a way of life as well, but it gives a very clear instructions that you know it says, "Kulu washrabu tusrifu." Now this is one of the commandments which actually leads to a healthy life. And I always say that there are two principles which the Holy Quran has hmm. told us about our diet. The first one is that. That whatever is in the in the in the earth, you go and you eat. But what do you select? You mm. choose halal. Halal is what has is not forbidden, mm. which is uh, allowed by lawful uh, yeah. by the law by the Islamic law. And the second is tayyib. Tayyib is which is good for you. It's not going to harm you. Because if yeah. you are diabetic, don't start eating sugar. Okay, so that is tayyib. And the second thing, which is to keep a balance. It says, Kulu Ashrabu, don't stop eating, eat and drink, but Valatusrifu, uh, don't exceed, don't do excesses, don't mm. go uh, don't beyond go, limits. Yeah. Um, you have to keep a balance. Keep the balance. So yeah. the balance is the beauty. And again, I always give an example that your two eyes are equal. If one becomes small, your beauty mm. is gone. Mm. That is what is making you beautiful. Where the balance is lost, the pro there will be a problem. So obesity or being, uh, you know, uh, less weight, that either of them, it is a problem. So you have to balance it out. Uh, on one hand, you are trying to uh, address obesity. And, uh, and of course, you have to deal with the psychological issues as well. And uh, on the other hand, you don't want somebody that, uh, you know, he, uh, he just ignores it. You, you don't want to weight shame anybody. Um, but at the same time, you have to make them aware that, look, mm. if you don't do anything about it, it is going to uh, cause more problems. And that's what happens in, in obesity, that in the beginning, people don't realize they are putting on weight and suddenly. Uh, but of course, you know, you have to be aware that there can be very, very physical reasons for that. You have to get their thyroid checked. Many a times we have seen that people have gone uh, unaware of that their, th their thyroid the was thyroid underactive. Was, yeah. And that's why they put on weight and they realized after two, three years when they had already put on so much weight that they couldn't lose that again. Mm. And it was mm. very, very difficult for, for them. Similarly, there are other reasons. There are endocrine reasons. There are metabolic, you know, some metabolism of some people is very high. Some people had a, have a low uh, mm. metabolism, and that's yeah. why you see there are people who are eating day and night, and as much as they can, they don't uh, put and, on and weight, yeah, and you just weight, envy yeah. them. And uh, there are <laughs> others who would put a little, little bit. They will eat a little bit, and they, they will put on weight. Now it's not their fault, but at least uh, you know the physical things have to be ruled out. Mm. That these are the things which you can uh, and you should be checked. And then if, if it is just. Uh, uh, because some some people say, oh, it's, it's very simple mathematics that, you know, whatever goes in, you know, mm. stays in or your your body. Uh, but what is your metabolism? Is, is it dependent on your carbohydrates you are intaking uh, uh, or your body is capable of switching on to fat? Mm. 
it is capable of to switching on to proteins. I mean, um, some of some of the carnivores, if you see in the forest, they they don't eat any carbohydrates. Mm. Yet they survive, they thrive. They are eating only meat, so their metabolism is just uh, made for. So you can actually change. So cutting down on carbohydrates can make a huge difference to your body. So it's just making that delicate balance that this is right, this is wrong, and and every individual is different. Somebody, something which is uh, good for you may not Might be good, not be for, good me. for the other person as well. So yeah. uh, so according to individual needs, it, it should be addressed. And again, um, uh, the basic principles, as I mentioned, eat and drink. You know, one that should be halal and tayyib should not be forbidden. It should be good for you. And second, in balance, eat in balance, and you will be fine. Don't go to the extremes. Yeah. Fasting, they say fasting is good for you. Intermittent fasting, okay, not continuous fasting because mm. that will kill you. Yeah, it has to be balanced. Just like Islamic that, fasting. That time period, nowadays, I can tell you that the, the best fasting, which has been recommended nowadays, the f- is the, the fasting which is that of Ramadan, mm. that you don't eat anything for a certain period for for hours. It can be, you know, six hours, eight hours, twelve hours, but. After it has to be intermittent, it has to be broken. Then, uh, after a break, you you can so so that is considered to be the best, and that will keep you much more healthy. I mean, there's so many different uh, diets now. I mean, there's keto diets, various other diets as well. People, to, you know, vegetarians, vegans, and all these other things as well. People, you know, cutting out meat altogether. People cutting out vegetables, and I mean, just like you mentioned, what the Holy Quran the says. Basic keep principle the is the same. Yeah, basic keep a balance. The same. Don't go to the extreme. Let's speak to our next guest uh, who is on the line with us, Dr. Badia Bajwa, who's currently in the sixth year of specialization in internal medicine at uh, University Hospital in Germany. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Wa alaikum assalam, jazakallah. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. To begin with, how, how important is the issue of obesity uh, right now in this current uh, time period? You know, I think it is very important because obesity is, as said, directly associated with a lot of various diseases, such as cardiovascular diseases, diabetes, certain cancers, musculoskeletal diseases, and a lot of other chronic diseases. And this actually results in approximately 3 million deaths worldwide each year. Mm. And, you know, being overweight or obese reduces life expectancy, so you have to say that rise of obesity cases is a public health crisis and therefore i think it is important to do our best to curve this rise of this crisis absolutely absolutely now why do you think healthcare professionals have a bias um towards uh, patients with weight related issues why is that you know i think that the primary causes are obviously westernized dietary patterns and lack of physical activity of course, there are also medical um, medical problems problems which can lead to um, to obese obesity, but these two I mentioned are caused by the individual individual itself. And as a doctor or a nurse, you don't know the personal reason behind this condition. Yeah, you don't have time to evaluate the mental status, stress level, childhood traumas, etc. Mm. So you see these patients struggling with various diseases. They come again and again. And for a person with normal body weight, it is hard to understand the holistic problem behind this condition. 
And then you also have patients who are not responsible for their disease at all. And as a human being, I think you obviously tend to pity these patients. And if, in your opinion, weight-related diseases are self-made, yeah. you start to show less compassion for obese patients. Mm. And I think this is the mindset which is responsible for this bias. But I think the, and I think the social pressure of weight shaming is used to justify the promotion of weight loss. But obviously, this is wrong, and it doesn't work in the long run. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, are there any harmful effects of stress and embarrassment on individuals' body? Yes, yes. Weight shaming triggers physiological and behavioral changes mm -hmm. linked to poor metabolic health and increased weight gain. You could say you actually experience a form of stress and in distress cortisol level spikes, self-control drops and the risk of binge eating increases. Mm -hmm. Stress and embarrassment, which we are talking about, are not considered mental health problems, but they can lead to mental health problems. And we all know that chronic stress is linked to various diseases, such as sleep dysfunction, cardiovascular diseases, tension, headaches, and a weakened immune system, leading to a high occurrence of infectious diseases. We might think that social pressure and discrimination help in reducing weight, but it actually has the opposite effect. And um, studies have shown that weight shaming makes people sicker and heavier. Okay, so what do you think, in your opinion, is obesity a bigger problem than weight shaming? I don't think that weight shaming is a bigger problem than obesity itself. I think mm. obesity is the bigger problem. Um, but I explained, as I explained just now, nowadays both go hand in hand. There has been a time when being overweight was a sign of being well off, right? But in this present society, there is a race for obtaining physical beauty, not to gain good health, but for the outer appearance. And I think both problems are equally tremendous. Both lead to diseases and reduce life expectancy. And I think healthcare professionals should be aware of this. I think one way to go about it would be to hold workshops, like for healthcare trainees while you're still studying in respective institutions. And moreover, we must also address bias in clinical guidelines, because many guidelines promote weight loss without acknowledging weight bias or environmental factors. And um, yeah, in the end, as a Muslim, we should also follow Allah's guidance, right? There's this hadith mm. saying, Allah does not look at your appearance and your wealth, but he looks at your hearts and your deeds. Yeah, that's fun. Thank you very much. Absolutely right. Thank you very yeah. much for joining us today. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Have a nice evening. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that was, uh, that was uh, Dr. Bari Bajwa, uh, who's a sixth year of uh, currently in a six-year specialization in internal medicine in the university hospital in germany thank you so much to her um you know it's it, it is a big problem isn't it weight uh, weight shaming as well as uh, you know as as, as obesity obesity itself obesity as well. itself yeah. as well and all of these i mean like you mentioned it's not just it's not just the physical illness it's the it's the mental and the psychological illness as well when it, when it's pe when it's in people's minds or their mindset that oh, they they embarrass themselves, they have a inferiority complex themselves, and uh, they they they're ashamed. Um, I mean, you know, it, it is a difficult and a touchy uh, uh, topic, but uh, it definitely you know needs to be needs to be addressed. And those people who are sort of um, suffering or going through a, a difficult time, there are different charities, there are different organizations. Um, to actually contact and uh, get good guidance from as well. So especially, you know, go to go definitely go to your GP if you have any, you know, if you want to talk to someone 
uh, professionally as well. See, the thing is that um, nowadays people have become aware, and even the children, hmm. you know, um, uh, I, I can, you know, uh, I can be, you know, whatever I'm... A witness. I'm, I'm 100% sure is about <laughs> my own children. Oh, right. That, uh, you know, it's a long time ago that they they've stopped going to, to these, uh, you know, the uh, ready-made food shops like uh, mm. McDonald's or or for that matter, any of those shops because they say, oh, we don't want to eat junk food. Mm. And uh, yeah, they, they are much happier to um, to eat food made at home and, and they know that it is a healthier food and even, uh, e- even m- uh, my son comes to MTA mm. and he brings his own food from home. He says that the food which is supplied here, uh, you know, to, to them, although it's free, uh, but it says <laughs> it, it, it contains a lot of yeah. oil. <laughs> and and that problem has been there because there is a an Asian way of thinking that mm. uh, if you don't put enough oil, it becomes, it is not tasty enough. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but what I'm, uh, I intend to say is that uh, the children have become aware over the years because they what that's what they have seen in the media they have th- that's what they have seen at home that's what and, and that has changed their thinking and they have much uh, uh, positive thinking about one to to keep themselves healthy and to eat what is healthier and what is more what they enjoy as well mm-hmm. it's not that uh, you know they 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 don't eat what is not delicious they enjoy whatever they eat and they uh, and they they uh, and and that's for that's how we can train the um, general population as well that you know if, if you uh, many times i would uh, visit some home mm. uh, and i see that the children they are given you know candies in a big bag you know mm. uh, and they are eating and nobody is stopping and nobody cares that you know and, and they are not even and and you just <laughs> think you know that it, the yeah. don't they think that yeah. this is not good for them uh, everybody, they, but they. I think that the role has to be played by the media, and they. As well, uh, yeah, And there is yeah. a there is a m- much bigger influence generally, that uh, yes, uh, that we don't go to other extreme. Hmm. Yes, obesity, and there are lots of shows you see on the on the television on the on the on your mobile phone as well about uh, reduction of weight hmm. uh, as well. But I think that people should be made conscious of that there is a psychological effect of weight shaming as well and they have to be careful that when you are you're you know putting a remarks on somebody um, uh, then it has a psychological impact on people and can affect their health as well yeah um, so keeping, keeping a balance yeah. is the, the basically uh, uh, is key. the point which, which needs to be you know when yeah. kids kids are being uh, uh, you know shamed or weight shamed, or you know, when people talk, make fun of their, make fun of their weight, or maybe they could, maybe they're getting bullied in school, maybe they're getting, you know, bullied uh, at home. Um, that can have a very detrimental effect on on youngsters as well. Um, but the thing is, like you mentioned, sometimes, sometimes it's, uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's the it's the parents' fault, but sometimes you see that uh, due attentions has has not been you know laid down properly. Or you know, sort of uh, o- an open hand has been given to the children sometimes, and uh, you know they 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 get a little bit overweight, and then that sort of grows and grows and grows. But then on the other hand, they are the ones who who did this uh, to them, and they are the ones who then who then blame them that oh why are you so fat? Why are you so big? Why why are you this size or that size? 
But the thing is, is that you know, like you mentioned, the media has a has a huge role to play as well. And when we see different, um, you know, different uh, celebrities on on Instagram or various other uh, social media outlets, and you know, youngsters they they want to mimic that, they want to copy that, they want to be like them, they want to dress like them, they want to look like them, they want to follow, you know, they want to, you know, you see some guys uh, who just want to go to the gym, pump some weights, get uh, you know, get get dench, and that's you know that's their motive, that's what they want to do, but. The thing is, is that sometimes they go to the extreme. They take roi- they take steroids. They take different, you know, things, and uh, it's just it's, it has a detrimental effect on their on their on their body in the long run. Yes, you know, they they may gain that body very quickly, or you know, in a period of a year or two. But then later on in life, it may come back to haunt them. So there are these things which we need to take uh, special attention towards as well. And like we mentioned, we're going to go back to what we're saying that keeping the balance is definitely key and it's not just about eating it's not just about eating it's about ki- staying physically active as well and also i remember you were saying i, th- I think it was a couple of a uh, couple of weeks ago 10 10000 steps you you do in a day that's yeah yeah that's my routine yeah <laughs> that's your routine i mean i mean look, look i mean that's a very good example as well and it means for all of us as well if we stay physically active it's not just about going to the weight or you know going on a treadmill or cycling or whatever o- of course these things are very good but even if it's simple walking, maybe you know you can brisk walk, have that step count, and if you do ten thousand steps a day, that's a very good achievement. If you do that every single day, yeah, they say that even for your heart rehabilitation, they yeah. they ask you to to do, and even for diabetics, they say that it's uh, half an hour hmm. exercise you yeah. require. It could be just walking, and that walking cannot, uh, it, it may not be in one go. It can be divided into fifteen minutes, half an hour, um, brisk walk. Uh, five days a week that is mm. recommended in order to prevent uh, or even the secondary prevention for the heart uh, problems so so that's not very difficult I think it's ma- just a matter of uh, you know getting used to it and, mm. fi- and finding time for it <laughs> as <laughs> exactly, well exactly <laughs> yeah. you know we were going we were talking about um, uh, you know different um, different cultures and their traditions as well and uh, I mean, I was <laughs> talking about the Pakistani Indian culture as we're from that as well. If someone is is uh, is skinny, n- or even just just normal, right, thin, they will call them they will call them weak, <laughs> 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 or they call them smart. I don't know why, but they call them smart. But if someone is you know a little bit overweight, a little bit maybe I'm not, I don't I don't want to say obese because that's <laughs> that's a very you know it's a strong term. They'll call them healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Say this yeah, person very uh, healthy. That's what I was saying. That uh, you know, you say healthy is a polite term for telling them that you are <laughs> overweight. <laughs> so if someone says you're healthy, <laughs> if uh, if a Pakistani uncle s- tells you you're healthy, you maybe have to check check in. <laughs> <the middle. laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult one as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like we're saying, to to eat and drink, but uh, don't exceed. Uh, the limit as well and there's another there's a saying there's a very famous saying of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him he said that if you if you want to eat and drink of course do that but the way to do that is that you should leave one third of your stomach for eating one third of your stomach for drinking and one third of your stomach for for, for air, air for easy access of <laughs> of, uh, of breathing as well so this is uh, you know this is very very much important and if you do that you can not just have that balanced diet 
but you can also maintain that weight as well. You can also I think one, one more point is that about again the hadith of the Holy Prophet may be yeah. upon him. He said that you know uh, uh, when you eat, if still you you can eat more, you S- have some stop a little bit appetite. Before. Stop a little bit before, and the science has proved that your satiety level only um, uh, you are satisfied mm. uh, when your sh- sugar level goes up to a certain level. When you're about to be and and, and your uh, absorption of the uh, of the food takes some time, mm. and uh, so when you stop eating later on, you realize that you actually have eaten enough. That's mm. I mean that's uh, very uh, words of advice from the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Join us after the news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Drive Time Show here on The Voice of Islam Radio. Um, in this part of the show, we are moving on to our next uh, our next topic, which is uh, which is about Islam and Europe. Um Compatibility of Islam in 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 Europe, in uh, in Asia, in America, in the whole world actually, because Islam is a universal religion. Islam is not just for for the Muslims, for the Middle East. Islam is for the whole world till the end of time as well. Um, we're going to be speaking about this uh, during this part of the show. If you want to contribute to the show, the number to call in is zero two zero eight six eight seven. 7878 you can also tweet us tweet us at voice of islam uk or leave us any comments on our instagram page which is also voice of islam uk um as i mentioned before in the beginning of the show that we are the or the ahmadiyya muslim community is actually doing a remembrance event uh, in in honor of her majesty queen elizabeth the second today in the bet al-futul mosque which is the uh, largest mosque in Western Europe is uh, is in South uh, is in South London. If you if you want to come in, um, the the event is about to begin at quarter past five, and it will go until around uh, seven o'clock as well. Some light refreshments will also be served. So if you do want to come in, you can. You're more than welcome to. It's uh, our our doors are always open to any guest who wants to who wants to come. Have uh, have you know not not just have a look at the mosque, but also take benefit from uh, f- from the teachings of Islam as well. Learn some more about the teachings of Islam. But this event is more to do so with the remembrance of uh, Her Majesty the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Her 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 you know different things which she which she of course did during her during her reign, her seventy year reign, and of course all of our thoughts and prayers are with. Uh, with her, with the with the family members, with the royal family, with the monarch, uh, with the government, and of course with the citizens of the United Kingdom as well. Um, so that's something that uh, which is happening here in the Bazaftu Mosque, as well as other mosques uh, up and down the up and down the country. Um, talking about uh, Islam uh, and uh, and Europe, um, if we if we just. 
you know, if we could just request some of our listeners uh, or all of our listeners who are listening at the moment to take a moment to mentally list all the contributions that the Islamic world has made to the sciences, to the arts, to society, any aspect of life. Now, if we contrast that with all the negative things that we've heard about in the Muslim world, what would you actually think about? What would you actually say? And the thing is, is that Islam or Muslims has given the world so much when it comes to sciences, when it comes to different arts, when it comes to society, when it comes to the way of life, when it comes to hygiene, when it comes to astronomy, when it comes to medicine, various other things, Islam has given so much to to the world and the people are still benefiting from that to this day and they will continue to benefit from these things, from these advancements uh, as well. Um, when we talk about the, the negatives, of course, there are no negatives, but there are some bad apples uh, in the bunch. And those bad apples, they, of course, you know, they, they claim that they are Muslims, but their actions are very much contradictory to the to the teachings of Islam, to the to the beautiful teachings of Islam as well, and that's something that we want to clear uh, our sh- you know clear that's in that's our show the, today. The problem is that that's what is picked up by the media. That's the problem, and that is what is highlighted, and that's what is uh, uh, you know goes to the people, and that's what. Uh, so that's why you see that, that the negative thinking are always the negative things are always you know um, uh, much more in the minds of people when they think about Islam or when the name comes to. To Islam, so um, so it's quite uh, quite often it's hard to come up with the positive contributions when you when you're thinking and um, generally the negative impacts are uh, you know the people are quick to jump hmm. to to them so jump to conclusions uh, so it's so that that's why we are talking about this particular topic uh, today Islam in Europe that uh, so that we can highlight what Islam has contributed towards Europe and. That uh, the there is a lot of contribution from the Muslims uh, and from uh, and not only um, uh, not only today but f- but for for centuries even even the basic foundations of science on which the Europe is very proud of today the the foundations actually have come from hmm. Islam. I mean, if, even if you just look at the the libraries of different universities and some big, big universities as well. Um, of course, you know, I'm not going to name them, but uh, I think everyone would know them anyway. But where did they where did their literature come from? It came from it came from, uh, you know, Islamic libraries in, in Spain. It came from, uh, you know, it came from the Middle East. It came from Turkey. But mainly a lot of it came from Spain. And uh, those, you know, that treasure of knowledge has been, you know, um, However, they they took that treasure. However, they took that literature. You know, they know themselves. But it is sitting in the libraries. It is sitting in the the museums. It is sitting in uh, various places in the you know historical places in the West. But you know, wh- where did that come from? That came from that came from Muslims. That came from Islam. So this is just one of the things which Islam has actually done. Uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of what the contribution of Islam is in the in the West, and quite often. We attribute the horrendous terror attacks of 9/11 as the as a turning point uh, in anti-Islamic sentiment, but the reality is that it has you know uh, permeated our culture for centuries, and for for many centuries we we have attributed Muslim discoveries and inventions to the later European or Western scientists, philosophers, mathematicians, astronomers, etc., and have essentially erased. 
um, Muslim contributions, which is quite sad because these people got their knowledge from the early Muslims as well, from the golden age of Islam uh, as well. Um, and after a after a UK survey was conducted by the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, uh, with there were, were two thousand responses. These statistics were found, and the poll was carried out between twenty uh, second and twenty fourth of April, twenty sixteen. That Islam is compatible with British values. Twenty eight percent agree to that one. Islam promotes uh, promotes acts of violence in the UK. Thirty one percent agreed with that one. Islam is a negative force in the UK. Forty three percent agree with that. Most people in the UK have a negative view of Islam and 72% uh, of people uh, conducted in the interview uh, in the in the poll they said or they agree to that. Islam is a violent religion, violent religion. 28% of people agree to that one. So you can understand uh, that since 9/11 the media has taken various different steps to ensure that Islam is portrayed in a, in a negative light. And Islam is often shown as a religion that, that, that incites people towards violence, towards hatred, and uh, towards, you know, barbarism. But this is why we are doing, you know, these, these sort of shows as well, to raise the awareness and give people what the true teachings of Islam actually are. Let's speak to our first guest uh, on this part of the show who is on the line with us, Dr. Mansoor. Atta Ilahi, who is the Vice President of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association in Spain, son of Kar- Karmulahi Zafar Sahib, who was the first missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who was sent to Spain. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you and welcome to the show. Uh, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you so much for joining us this, uh, this afternoon. To begin with, Islam and Spain have a history dating back uh, to about uh, 711 AD. In, in what ways can we still see the influence of Islam in Spain? Um, uh, thank you very much for having me. Um, uh, there is uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of things that remember us about uh, the long history of Muslims in Spain. Although after the Christian kingdom came to Spain, they made uh, their best efforts to eradicate all uh, sort of um, uh, all sort of um, uh, rememberings from the Muslim uh, era. Uh, still, there are many uh, that remind you that actually, I mean, a huge uh, in, uh, civilization was present in this uh, uh, country. I remember the when uh, I did my first trip to South America, I found that uh, in the first uh, ships of the conquerors, Christopher Columbus and the next ones who went to uh, different countries of South America, uh, one of the main conditions to embark uh, with the crew was that for two generations at least, they, the people who were boarding the boats, they were not allowed to have any uh, any Muslim mm. uh, in his, uh, I mean, in their uh, family. So, uh, because they knew that if uh, someone with a sort of hidden faith uh, would go to America, probably in in a question of. Uh, few years the whole South American continent might become Muslim as it, as it really happened uh, 
in Spain when the, when the Muslims arrived uh, in this country. So regarding the, I mean, you can see uh, in the history, the religion, the language, the character of the people, the architecture, the name of the towns, the uh, lots and lots of uh, things that remember uh, people that this was a Muslim country. Like in the place where I live, which is uh, not uh, the city of Valencia, but is uh, a city called Shativa, uh, I would say that uh, at least uh, one third of the, all the uh, villages and uh, towns hmm. in my area and Alicante area uh, they've got um, uh, Muslim names, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, even the streets. They, uh, I was living before in a street called uh, Abu Masaifa. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the father of Masaifa and uh, Beni, Mamet, Beni. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, uh, names that just it's not necessary to trace their origins in the Arabic language, but it is so obvious. Mm. Um, and obviously, in the in the main buildings of Spain, I mean, I mean historical buildings that attract so many tourists, like uh, uh, Granada and uh, the Alhambra in Granada, the big mosque of mm. Cordoba, Cordoba, the Giralda in Sevilla, and Seville. So all these uh, uh, places, uh, the language, Spanish language, is full of. Uh, Arabic roots and Arabic words. Mm. There are uh, mm. hundreds of words starting from uh, um, the same root as uh, it was in Arabic. And I can tell you that even the character of uh, the people, the present people of Spain is uh, much influenced by the, uh, by the uh, Muslims. Sometimes those Muslims who uh, were uh, prosecuted by a Christian in the latest uh, period and they had to um, survive by uh, like uh, shouting instead of uh, talking mm. because they were converted into Christians and they were all the time under the watch of the Inquisition Tribunal. So in order to dispel any misunderstanding or to being, uh, not to be accused falsely of being a bad Christian, they they had to shout to the neighbors and to the people instead of uh, I mean speak with a normal uh, uh, sort of volume, and you can see that in the for instance in the agriculture the people who work in the agriculture in Valencia or uh, elsewhere uh, this is sort of amazing why. Even if the neighbor is uh, at their side, they they still shout, no. Or hmm. you can see that in the uh, when there is a feast. I mean, the local feast, uh, uh, yearly feast in the different villages. Then uh, you could see that there is one animal which is sacrificed at the side of all the public, which is the pork. So. This it because all the animals in Spain they are slaughtered in uh, close uh, uh, places, but the pork is uh, sacrificed openly mm. because when the Muslims were uh, forced to become Christian and they were under surveillance, then uh, they have to prove continuously that they were eating pork and they were mm -hmm. made them to sacrifice in the middle of the street. So. 
for, I mean, for good and for bad, you, there is, uh, I mean, in, in every aspect of the life of Spain, you could see the, the traces, sometimes in the characters, sometimes in the building, sometimes in the language. And uh, so I, I, I believe for a Spanish might be easier to learn Arabic than for any other uh, person in the rest of Europe because of these uh, uh, so many roots in in the Spanish language that uh, come from um, uh, Arabic apart from obviously the Greek and uh, Latin. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, sorry. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah. indeed. Uh, you know, when myself we visited uh, the uh, Spain, you know, Andalusia and Granada and the cities, we can see the trace of Islamic history that indeed there was a magnificent era which you know, Islam had in Spain and uh, you know the we went to uh, Alhambra itself and the magnificent mm. work has been done there and the Qurba Mosque in it we can see that how Islam was ruling that time so if we discuss this topic further you know your respected father was the first Ahmadi missionary mm. in Spain can you yeah, tell uh, us about the sort of environment and society he arrived in or how they received him? You must have, uh, yeah. you know, shared the, uh, he must have shared some memories with you, if you would like to tell us that as well, please. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, my father, when uh, he arrived in Spain, he found a, a country which was uh, really devastated by the war. There was a there was a civil war in mm. that started in the year 1936, and it lasted uh, for, uh, I believe, uh, about four four years maybe. But the situation in which this country was at the time when my father came in uh, uh, 1946, uh, I mean, it was uh, terrible. There was misery everywhere. Mm -hmm. To get the food, you needed to have. Uh, uh, a ratio card and uh, uh, the government was very suspicious about whoever would come uh, f uh, whoever being foreigner would come in the country because they were uh, thinking that maybe they, they were uh, they would do or they would try to do some uh, illegal political activities or uh, some other kind the, the other uh, problem that my father faced here is that uh, there was no religious freedom at all. Mm -hmm. there was, this was a country which was ruled actually by the dictator, General Franco, and, um, uh, and the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But those uh, sectors of the Catholic Church which, which were really sort of uh, extremists. So not only Islam was not allowed to be preached here, uh, but even other denomination of Christianity, like uh, uh, all sort of uh, Protestantism, Jehovah Witness, and so on. So no one, no religion was allowed here except uh, the the uh, Catholic uh, religion. Uh, so, as, this, yeah. see, sorry. so as you mentioned sorry. about the uh, Catholic dictatorship in Spain. How did uh, you know, your father go about preaching Islam in the political environment? How difficult was it? Yeah, for him? I mean it was uh, it was really hard because um, uh, soon after he came, then the partition of uh, Pakistan and in India happened, mm -hmm. and uh, 
بن حضور حضرت خلیفۃ المسیح ثانی رضی اللہ تعالیٰ عنہ ہی ڈائریکٹ مائی فادر ٹو گو ٹو لنڈن بیکاز دے ور ان اے ڈیفیکلٹ سچویشن ان کادیان اینڈ دے کوڈن سینڈ ہم دے اماؤنٹ دے ور سینڈنگ ہم فار ہز ایکسپینسز سو بدن مائی فادر روڈ باک ٹو حضور سینگ دیٹ is the jamaat worry was about uh, the finance then uh, they should i mean if azur allowed him uh, he would uh, try his best to get get, get the money uh, by himself uh, so this is um, this is why he uh, started uh, producing in a small quantities Uh, perfumes the, the technique that he learned mm-hmm. from India and that way he was able to um, uh, I mean to cr- create a bit of uh, uh, funding for his work and uh, by the grace of God I mean he got all uh, type of uh, blessing and support in his um, uh, in his efforts and uh, uh, there were Uh, I mean, he he was he didn't have to worry about the income. The, mm-hmm. the other problem was uh, because of this uh, legislation uh, and lack of religious freedom. Uh, I mean, he was very often taken to jail or to prison, and uh, my my father's place was. Uh, being searched again and again and uh, and uh, many times he was uh, threatened to be expelled out from Spain uh, probably they didn't they were not able to do it because uh, Spain was a, a poor country and at that time traveling to India would mm-hmm. mean something like two months journey and very expensive exactly. so Alhamdulillah he Uh, in in spite of all, all these difficulties in spite of uh, uh, the situation and uh, he he managed to um, uh, somehow uh, do the league uh, he soon met some influential people in uh, among the authorities in in Spain and um Uh, there were some people from the church and some people from uh, the government who attend i mean who received my father with uh, uh, an open mind and the, the, their letters and their sort of support allowed him to uh, be not free to to preach but at least uh, free from being imprisoned again and again uh sometime he was released from prison because he would uh, do the uh, he would do the league to the people he would preach to the people inside the jail so then the authorities there they were worried that maybe islam would spread through the uh, inmates of the of the jail no indeed uh, yes indeed. Uh, he, yes he has done i think he had uh, given many years for the service of islam and indeed uh, jamaat em is still trying their best to go there and spread the teaching of Islam. Jazakallah, uh, Mansoor Saab, for joining us today yeah. and uh, giving us insight about this pain. Jazakumullah. Aslam Jazakumullah.
Okay, assalamualaikum. Yeah, so that was Karim al Zafar Sahib's son, who was the first missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community who was sent to Spain as well. And uh, Dr. Mansour Ata Ilahi was the vice president of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in uh, in Spain uh, as well. Um, as uh, as mentioned before in the beginning of the program, we spoke about that remembrance program for Her Majesty the Queen, Queen, Queen Elizabeth II. Um, there's an event, as I mentioned, which is happening in the Bazaftu Mosque uh, uh, as well. To give us a little bit more information, we have Imam Raza Ahmed, a, a very good friend uh, to to off the drive time show, of course, a missionary of the Ahmed Yumsun community. Asalaamu Alaikum. Tell us a little bit more about uh, about this. Asalaamu Alaikum. Yeah, thank you very much for um, giving me some time. I just wanted to, as you mentioned in the beginning as well, um, reach out to anyone who is listening if you are in the area. This is the Bath of Two Mosque in South London in Morden. Mm. And if you want to join the event, uh, it's about to start in uh, like 15, 20 minutes time. So you're more than welcome to just pop in. There's no registration needed whatsoever. Right. Um, and it's a remembrance service in honor of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Right. I mean, if you're taking the, the, the underground, just take the Northern Line as the last yeah. stop, isn't it? Northern last Line all the way. Yeah. All the way. Um, Talking about talking about um, what uh, what the Ahmadiyya Muslim community actually feels about her, what are our our sort of sentiments? How how, how does the how does the community feel about uh, Her Majesty's resign, uh, reign? So I think um, this is not just about Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. This mm. goes back to Queen Victoria, the relationship that the community has had with the monarchy, um, with the British monarchy. It dates back to the time of the founder of the mm. Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mirza Ulama, with the promised Messiah, on whom be peace, who, based on the fact that you know, th- you know the justice aspect, the fairness aspect, the the religious freedom aspect that the monarchy stood for st- and still stands for, and, and this is something that His Holiness, the current um, uh, successor or the fifth successor of the Promised Messiah, has mentioned just mm. you know this weekend as well about Her Majesty. Um, that's that's how we feel, and as long as that, as a head of state, as she's uh, pursuing that course, and she did throughout her life, throughout her reign. Um, then that's something that needs to be uh, applauded. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, many people think that uh, Islam or Muslims are not are not welcome here because they're not compatible because you yeah. know, they, they don't they're not law-abiding citizens. But that's why that's why we're doing this show as well. How Islam is uh, compatible. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in, I think in, in 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 the West, isn't it? I, I think it's very important for us, specifically this generation, the next generation as well, yeah. to 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 know that you belong. Mm. Right? And, I, and I've met so many of them uh, throughout the last couple of days, who who did have. I mean, it's not like we know the Queen. It's not like we've met her. But you still have an affiliation. Her being the head of state. Yeah. Her being a monarch. Her being part of. The, the the fabric of, of this country of and, and the legacy that she's left behind. So it's very important I think to, to show our appreciation for the for the services that she's rendered not just in this country but around the globe to around be the globe as well, isn't it? The Commonwealth. I mean how uh, of course the Commonwealth as well. Now how I mean this is just one of the ways in which we can show our our loyalty, isn't it? Towards mm. the towards the towards the nation, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean look it's when we spoke about just right now about the sense of belonging the sense of 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 identity and and are you part of this country or not this is one way of showing this um 
when when it comes to all these these you know I wouldn't say allegations but these mm. negative thoughts about or this uh, this negative image about Muslims that's that's not the fault of the queen is it yeah <laughs> and it's no, no. it's a lack of education it's a lack of uh, um, in, you know, interaction with Muslims of of the common population exactly but in her reign throughout and I think we've seen this with King Charles as well mm. the affiliation that they have or the connection that they have with um, the the you know, religion faith practicing of of faith and, mm. and and the right to practice your faith freely uh, and that's something that as as I said before that's something that needs to be applauded I mean of course you know his holiness also mentioned this uh, on the weekend at the keynote address of the the annual youth gathering of yeah. the Ahmadiyya Muslim community here in the UK as well that you know the the religious freedom yeah. that that they that you know that that the royal family has given us um, you know all the way going back to the time of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace which you just mentioned as well before as well and that definitely needs to be needs to be applauded hmm. um, what, what what's your message to to King Charles III then? I think this is uh, <laughs> I'm I'm actually <laughs> no one to give a message to be honest, but <laughs> on I'll, I'll just of the <laughs> yeah I'll just I'll just echo what His Holiness said that yeah. I mean the legacy left behind by Her Majesty is something that needs to be continued and His Holiness has expressed his his you know he's given his prayers uh, mm. to King Charles that may he continue to carry on that legacy and you know Definitely. His Holiness Definitely. said that. Her Her Majesty served her people with immense dignity, grace, and unwavering dedication throughout her long reign. Mm. And I mean, as you said, for us as citizens of this country, for us who mm. are not just, you know, we don't consider us just as citizens, but we are law-abiding, loyal citizens who, you know, in our pledges we say we will do anything for, for the sake of uh, our country, our nation, and if it has to, you know, be in any way that we can serve, that we can help out, this is something that we will do, um, uh, inshallah. Inshallah, God willing as well. God willing. Um, just lastly, if anyone wants to come down, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, come by to the Bayt. If you type in, I think in Google Baitul Futu uh, Mosque, it will literally just come up. On it will just doesn't come it? up. I think it's one eight one London Road yeah. here in Morden. Um, just come to the parking. Somebody will be there to receive you. And mm. the program, as I said, is about to start in a couple of minutes. Yeah. So we have, you know, different councillors, MPs. Um, the mayor of Merton is going to be here as well. You have uh, Ed Davey. You have, I just saw Tom Brake, who, mm. you know, we have spoken to many times. Familiar on, faces. On, in the fam mosque, familiar it? faces, of course. Yeah. But, of course, many, many members of the community who are here. So some light refreshments will be served as well. Oh, goody. We'll have a... Yeah, we'll have a uh, <laughs> minute of silence at uh, 5.52 as well. Mm. So if you, I mean... Come you down, ask for yeah. Razan. Yeah. Come Busy. down, ask for me. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, see you there. Jazakallah. Inshallah. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read um, the statement which was given by the uh, worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, mm. Mirza Masroor Ahmed, who is the fifth uh, successor of the Promised Messiah, on whom be peace. Um, he said, uh, upon the demise of the Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, um, that the death of Her, Ma Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is a truly great loss for the United Kingdom and Commonwealth. Ahmadi Muslims will remain forever grateful for the way Her Majesty served her people with immense dignity, grace, and unwavering dedication throughout her long reign. On behalf of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community, I wish to express 
our most sincere condolences to His Majesty King Charles III, the members of the royal family, and to the nation. May God Almighty grant them all the patience and strength to deal with this tremendous loss. So that was the message, that was the statement given by the head of the worldwide Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So now we have, uh, well, th- thank you for that. Uh, that was very much needed uh, as well to listen to what His Holiness actually actually said and uh, the tribute which uh, which is due as well. Um, let's go to Italy now. Um, let's speak to Imam Wase Tariq, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in Italy. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, good afternoon and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. As an, as an imam, a missionary in uh, in Italy, what do you think <coughs> is the general opinion um, you know people have towards Islam where where you are? You, you know, I would I would normally say that here, like in many other countries in the West, Islam is considered rather a dangerous religion, a threat to Western society, and that is. Unfortunately, what we do read sometimes in newspapers and on radio shows, um, some political parties use Islam to polarize further population. But then, you know, to be honest, when I look around, the people I actually meet, mothers who bring their children to school, people enjoying their delicious Italian espresso at cafes, people traveling to work on trains and buses. And you must know, Italians are very easy to talk to on the street. So my experience of 11 years, you know, tells me that, you know, Italians normally have a genuine and sincere interest for religion. They, they may not become Muslims, as to Italian, the Christian Muslim conflict runs deep into the past, but they are interested. They are skeptical now, more than before, ever before, to articles about Islam, and uh, they are more recipient now to hearing us out now. So generally, here, there's a deep consideration of faith. When I used to serve as an imam, for example, in the U.S. for some time, I was mm-hmm. concerned, you know, praying in public, and, you know, I was, like, a little hesitant sometimes, uh, more careful. Here, you know, whenever I had a chance at a highway stop or a station to stop and, and pray, put my prayer mat down and, and pray in public, I would see people approaching me afterwards, you know, and, and even congratulating me, you know, of being able to pray wherever uh, the way I did and everything. So th- there's a, you know, there's a perception of what we read and that we would think that many people will think this way, but the people on the ground, like the, the day-to-day people that you talk to, they do, they are more open uh, to listen to more voices and to, to, to listen to what is actually the situation. So, Imam Wasid, you know, normally uh, in media, Islam are portrayed, you know, as, as a religion which doesn't teach peace. So what do you think when you, you know, discuss uh, Islam with people over there, how they, do they take Islam? Do they take a religion of peace or do they think what media is portraying in the world? It, it depends, you know. Uh, it, it depends on the part of society that you talk to. Those mm-hmm. who are already in a way polarized. Obviously, you know, um, we as, uh, as Muslims have uh, not much reach to them. But to the common people overall, you know, um, they have in one way or the other heard that, you know, it, or they're at least skeptical that it can't be that bad that 
a religion followed by this large population of the world is all bad, all evil and everything. And, you know, um, another benefit of social media and sharing news something is that people have become more skeptical to what they read on uh, newspapers today. Okay. So, you know, Europe is generally far more secular than other parts of the world. Can Islam be compatible with secularism? If the idea behind secularism mm -hmm. is to have a more just government mm -hmm. which treats all religions equally, then of course secularism is not only compatible with Islam, it will be the implementation of the very teaching of the Holy Quran. You know, mm -hmm. justice is the key word here. As the Quran does not allow to treat even opposition or enemies with injustice, how could it be allowed for a Muslim government to have unjust laws against other religions and ideas? True. But, of course, as is the case in, in even in uh, European sectorism, as long as ideas and religions do not harm the greater society, the peace of society, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, it is something that is very important for uh, justice and for a, for a well-being of society. But when some ideas will harm um, the peace of the society, you know, then of course, like any other uh, government, um, also Islam would be very careful in, um, in in treating them equally to other more peaceful religions. Indeed, indeed. So, you know, what responsibilities do you think Muslim living in Europe, especially, have uh, to the respective nations or cu and cultures? To respective nations and cultures. You know, Muslims, wherever they are, mm -hmm. are told by the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings be upon him, to learn and acquire wisdom and share it with their loved ones and friends. Mm -hmm. This goes for Muslims living in the West. They must be loyal and sincere to the country they live in. And true sincerity and loyalty is marked by an intrinsic sense of compassion to help the society and support it in any way one can. So the same approach goes to those Muslims who go back to their countries, you know, to visit, to remind them how some Muslim societies and cultures have forgotten the very Islamic tenets of curiosity for knowledge and wisdom, hygiene, justice, and compassion for humanity, all qualities that have helped Western societies to be where they are and have helped historic Islamic societies to contribute to the wealth, knowledge, and civilization. So it's, a, it's, it's an approach that curiosity, wisdom, teaching, and, you know, the, the approach of giving is, is uh, the responsibility of Muslims living in any society, in any culture, to help develop and or redevelop long-forgotten assets. Mm, that's true. As, as you live, you know, in the, in the country, which is the, I think, central point of Christianity, what do you think that people are, you know, they are practicing Christians, or they practice the religion, do they go to church every week? What do you what, what do you say about the, uh, you know, the Christianity over there? Are they practicing or not? You know, Christians, um, well, well, there is um, obviously um, a decline in uh, the numbers of worshippers in uh, churches and everything, which mm -hmm. is the case uh, everywhere. But the thing is, still, you know, even if they're not active worshippers or the ones who really go to the church, mm -hmm. Christianity here in Italy is um, is part 
not only as as a spiritual experience for religion but it's it's culture i would even you know sometimes dare to say it's it's so much part of their dna mm-hmm. that um, you know you you see it they they cannot think even if they wish to and distance themselves from the church mm-hmm. as an organization but the basic moral tenets what is considered to be good and what is considered to be bad is deeply and highly influenced by the presence of the church um so yeah last thing you know as we know that uh, you visited Vatican City and uh, you have uh, you know met the pope so would you like to share your experience that how was the experience when you met pope and what you discussed yes the, the thing is it, it was a very inspiring meeting uh, you know we were part of a delegation coming from argentina where the imam of the ahmadiyya community in argentina marwan gil yeah. um, had formed a jewish uh, a formed um, jewish muslim brotherhood with a jewish rabbi and a journalist and uh, you know the moment we entered and we, we took pictures um Pope Francis immediately noticed the the logo on uh, the bag that I had in which I was going to give him the Quran in Italian language mm-hmm. and it says the love for our hatred for none in Italian okay. so he immediately addressed me he said that you know th- this is this is this is something so extraordinary because there's so much hatred around in this world and and what is your message so we had a chance to to introduce to him our nation international project our leadership always Uh, guided us uh, towards uh, this concept of loving and inclusive um, relationship with uh, with others, and um, we also introduced to him uh, to the book of uh, His Holiness um, uh, World Crisis and the Path to Peace, which he uh, generously accepted, and then he opened the page where His uh, His Holiness pictures are on, and he smiled and said, "Okay, this is your leader." Mm-hmm. and um, he was very uh, very excited and you know we, we introduced to him the different projects and we told him that you know it is it is a quranic um commandment you know for us it's almost it is like worship that we should collaborate in good deeds indeed and the effect and uh, the idea of our community that we have a leader and we have unity you know any collaboration we would have with the church in good deeds in in creating peace in this world and everything you know would have an effect from argentine all the way to europe all the way to the, the most remote area where there is a mosque you know be, because we have this leadership we have this system um, by the grace of god so this would be a very fruitful you know outcome of of being able to collaborate and he was very very pleased to receive the Italian and the Spanish translation of the Quran and uh, you know he genuinely seemed uh concerned you could see you know that he is very mm-hmm. very concerned on the peace of the world and the situation and the hatred that is going on and he really really wanted me to to go um to go further and uh, wanted us to to you know develop this relationship so it was a very inspiring meeting and um you know uh, and this will uh, hopefully you know create bigger good uh, for the world which the world was very much needs indeed indeed uh as you know the head of the amdi community he's just dis- keep discussing the peace of the world 
in here uh, in every uh, you know his speeches that somehow you know the leaders of the world should listen to it and uh, work and strive for the peace of the world seems like you had a very fruitful discussion with the pope jazakallah basisab for joining us today uh, jazakallah thank you thank you very much and have a nice evening jazakumullah Thank you very much. Assalamualaikum. So that was uh, that, that was uh, Imam Wasi Tariq, uh, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, serving uh, serving in Italy. And uh, you know, as, as, you, as you just mentioned, quite a fruitful um, meeting that he had uh, with uh, with the Pope as well, Pope Francis. Uh, so that was uh, quite uh, you know quite 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 remarkable uh, as well. Um, you know the the uh, I mean there are so many things that we can actually go into uh, detail as well. Um, I mean there's so many subtopics that we can actually talk about. But uh, let's um, let's get our next guest who is on the line with us, Imam Flahuddin Malik, who is another is an Imam, a missionary of the Ahmadiyya community, uh, serving in Denmark. Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you, and welcome to the show. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for joining us. Uh, as an imam in Denmark, what do you think is the general opinion people have towards Islam uh, where where you live? By the way, is my, my voice clear? It's a little bit slow. Uh, uh, it's okay. It, it, it's okay. We can still hear it's you. Terrible, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, in Denmark, uh, what they think of the public of uh, Islam is that uh, because of the image of Islam which is presented in the media and by certain politicians. Of course, uh, some Muslims are partly to blame for that. Uh, because of that, there is a skepticism towards Islam uh, in Scandinavian countries and in Denmark as well. And, but uh, as an Imam, when I speak to people, uh, and I meet the normal people, the, the, citizens, the citizens, I experience that whenever I present the true teachings of Islam, the true beautiful teachings of Islam, it is well received by people. And the prejudice, prejudice of the people is broken down. So it's, it's not that the people are not inclined to uh, accept the fact that Islam, the true Islam, has a, has a good teaching, but it's mainly because, of, mainly because of the media and the politicians, I think. So, you know, the Scandinavian countries are generally taught to be quite secular. Has this been the same case in your experience? Yes, definitely. They are very secular. In fact, uh, there, uh, there was a survey recently which showed that, uh, a few years ago, that uh, less than 40% of the population in Denmark believe in God. Less than 40%. And even those 40%, you can imagine, they're not very religious. They just, most of them, probably just have some concept of a God. Mm -hmm. But probably they're more secular than religious, most of them. So how do they take Islam in, in Denmark nowadays? Would you like to shed light upon this? Well, I mean, uh, like I said, it is, uh, they're skeptic. They are also afraid of Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, but some people they are more open-minded, but they are not in favor of Islam. And, and can you blame them in a way? In a way, you can't blame them because this is what is being presented to them by the media. So, so the media is presenting a mostly a negative uh, image, running mostly a negative discourse about Islam, and uh, the, the certain big parties in Denmark 
mm-hmm. political parties are presenting a, a, a negative, you know, image about Islam. So that's what the, 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 the general public receive in their TV, on their TVs and in their radios. So this has uh, shaped their view of Islam. Indeed, that's what we've been discussing in our program, that the Islam, which is the religion of peace, is not being portrayed in the way it should be, it should have been. The, you know, the media has portrayed in a way that Islam is a religion of extremism or, you know, people who are doing uh, some uh, acts which are inhumane and uh, they belong that person to Islam if they're doing any attacks or anything else. So... Would you like to share that what you have been doing or, you know, what the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association has been doing in Denmark uh, to remove this misconception within the Denmark people? Um, we are trying our best to present the true teaching of Islam, which is presented by the Promised Society of Islam in this age. Indeed. And that is based on the true teachings of the Quran and the true teachings of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and um, in that respect, we hold our, we have our, you know, programs where we actually not only present the true teaching of Islam, we not only uh, we have distributed hundreds of thousands of flyers about the true te- teachings of Islam, and, and but we have also practiced that by, uh, for instance, doing a lot of charity work doing a lot of work for dialogue between uh, religions and cultures. For instance, we give free food, we uh, do charity walks uh, and, and other events. And uh, this has a, a great, great impact on, on, on the local people in Denmark. Yeah, that's true. Thank you very much. And the last uh, the question I would like to uh, ask you, that uh, you know the His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmad, uh, you know, did a tour of the Scandinavian countries a few years ago. Can you describe what the reception was like and how people responded to his message of peace and justice in Denmark? Well, the people we had a reception in honor of the in mm-hmm. Copenhagen, which is the capital, and uh, the people that that came to that reception received him very well, uh, and those people were certain. Uh, ministers and uh, high-level politicians and um, uh, ambassadors and, and the general public, about around 200 people probably. And you can see that reception on MTA too. And Hazul gave a speech and, and it was well received, like it always is, because Hazul's words go, uh, go into the hearts of people and affect the hearts of the people positively. And certain people who came, you know, they also expressed afterwards that they were really impressed by it. But then again, like I said, the media just almost totally ignored Zoom. Mm-hmm. They totally ignored the Danish media. This is unheard of almost. The Danish media, they almost totally ignored the fact that the Khalifa of millions of Muslims came to Denmark. He, he gave a speech, he came to the mosque, he had his activities. But except for one radio channel, no other media covered his, his visit and in fact we just try to ignore it so this is because they don't want the true teachings of Islam to be presented to the world mm-hmm. yeah that's true uh, you know Zakala uh, Flaudin Saab for joining us today 
and uh, explaining that what you have been doing in Denmark. Uh, you know, Zakala once again for joining us. Have a nice evening, Zakmullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So that was uh, Imam Imam Fallahuddin Malik, who is a missionary of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community serving in uh, in Denmark. Next time you want to say something? Yes, as we were discussing the topic, which uh, you know the Imam Fallahuddin has discussed yeah. regarding the way Islam has been portrayed uh, to the world. Mm. You know, the most of the time the topic comes of jihad, and mm. jihad, of course, you know, to a true understanding of jihad is to strive against your own self to become a better person nowadays if somebody says that i'm doing jihad and you know he's doing his uh, part of the bomb attacks it's absolutely against the teachings of islam exactly the you know the fourth caliph and head of the ahmadiyya muslim community he says and i will quote him he said that as far as islam is concerned is categorically rejects and condemns every form of terrorism it does not provide any cover or justification for any act of violence be it committed by an individual, a group, or a government. A most strongly I most strongly condemn all acts and forms of terrorism because it is my deeply rooted belief that not only Islam, but also not true religion, whatever its name, can sanction violence and bloodshed of innocent men, women, and children in the name of God. Hmm. So this is the true teaching of Islam. This is Islam teaches us that everybody is you know nobody should be a part of any kind of inhuman activities and to understand the true teaching of islam it is you know the responsibility of media to portray the true teaching of islam and ahmadiyya muslim association you know day and night they're working on this and they try to promote the true teaching of islam and the head of the muslim association hazamiza masood Masai, he is trying his level best on every occasion Mm. regardless is in his speeches in his Friday sermons or if you're joining any parliament uh, meetings he's presenting the true teaching of Islam so people can understand that whatever they have been portrayed by the media that's not true Islam itself means peace and this is what you know we want to convey to people and the time they understand or they will realize you know the, the, what is the true Islam is the, 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 the time and the day they will start learning more about Islam, they start loving Islam mm. because Islam is a religion, which is a comprehensive religion, and uh, it you know gives you uh, a conduct to li to live your life. It's a way of life. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's it's unfortunate as well that uh, when whenever someone commits something bad, that gets portrayed in the media. But you know, as as uh, our previous guest just spoke about as well, Imam Flahuddin, that His Holiness, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The, the fifth caliph of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, may Allah be his helper. He came to Denmark, he did a tour in you know Western countries, Scandinavian countries, but that didn't get any attention. But as soon as someone does, uh, you know, commits uh, any uh, anything, anything bad, any, you know, does uh, something which is uh, against the law, that gets a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of attention. And it's sad. And His Holiness actually said this in one of the press conferences as well, after one of the, you know, the the, the peace symposiums which happened here, uh, hasn't happened happened here for the past few years because of COVID. But generally, when it happens, there's a press conference, mm -hmm. and he has mentioned to those newspaper articles, columnists, and whatever, what have you, 
that you know why don't you cover this exactly. why don't you cover the yeah. peace symposium and that's that's the thing that's the sad thing uh, as well but hopefully you know we have shed some light uh, on this as well hopefully you know you, uh, the listeners would have uh, benefited from uh, from our discussion today uh, as well as our esteemed guest who who took time out and spoke to us thank you uh, so much to them as well um, and of course the the remembrance uh, event which is happening right now in the Bethlehem mosque uh, if you want to come in uh, our doors are always open today's show was produced by Ifat Mirza Barira Ghaffar Amatul Bari and Mahin Khan thank you so much to them of course uh, thank you to Habib and of course gentlemen always a pleasure speaking and presenting with you until next time assalamu alaikum <laughs>